Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, William, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to have this opportunity to interview you. And I'm glad that I'm here with you today. Awesome, awesome. Well, you and I had a couple of conversations around you and your story and how you came about to be an entrepreneur. Uh, we certainly want to get to the details of some of those things, but before you even became an entrepreneur, you were actually a police officer working for the U.S. Army, uh, US uh, Army Reserve. You want to share a little bit about that, uh, that uh, history? Uh, I, I love, I, I'd love to, I'd love to as well. In order to really uh, capture that, I got to kind of uh, frame it in the box on how I ended up uh, to be a military policeman. Uh, I was bred, uh, born and bred into a neighborhood in which uh, one out of every two uh, men of color do not graduate high school. Uh, most of them are incarcerated. Um, and that's where I came from. I was lucky and blessed that when many people took a right, I took a left. Uh, I was put in, in, uh, in a trouble and I was given a decision to do and change my life and I changed my life. One of the things I did was join the Army. I joined the Army at a very young age. As a matter of fact, I had to be signed in by my mother at, at the age that I joined the Army. Uh, this was February 25th, 1991. Uh, I served in as a reservist. As a reservist, I got activated twice, once to go to Panama to help build schools or to uh, support the engineers that were building schools. And once in Bosnia, uh, we went there during the first free election after the Civil War. Awesome. So essentially, you, you took that, like you said, you took that uh, the right turn, uh, essentially brought you to becoming an Army Reserve uh, police officer. And then after that, I guess you went to a civilian life and, and started getting into into an uh, entrepreneurial journey, right? So you want to share how that transition actually took place? Yes, it's, uh, it's funny is that, you know, once I was five or six years in the Army uh, and I was in my adult life, uh, I had a choice on did I want to go military outside because the transition from military police to the police department, Nassau, Suffolk Police Department, or in, the, in levels of correction was very easy. But at the time, I was already five or six years in telecommunications. Uh, so I decided to continue with that. So in school, I stayed in economics at my job. I stayed in telecommunication and uh, my military career, unfortunately, ended after nine years. Understood. So obviously, that when you got to the civilian lifestyle, you ended up working for somebody. That's essentially what led you to starting your own business. So you want to share a little bit about how that entrepreneurial journey started? Yes, uh, and thank you for asking that question. So basically, I worked for a guy for eight years. And in that eight years time, we started off, it was a two-person shop, me and him. We came into the office in the morning. We would listen to the voicemail or recording that he had. We would decide what work we were going to do that day. We would close the shop. We would both go out and do work, and then we would come back. Mm -hmm. uh, I brought him from that point. We added on a couple of more techs. So I moved from a tradesperson to a lead, uh, and we kept building. So I was with him for about eight years. We went from that two-person shop to a 15-person shop, mm -hmm. right? And all of the challenges along the way. Finally, at the end of it all, you know, he started to have a lackluster attitude towards the technicians and the customers. And that really ultimately drove me to leave because 
if we have unhappy people outside, we have unhappy people inside, it was a very hostile work environment. Understood, which led me to start ESC Cabling, uh, which has been in business for over 17 years, uh, that you, you became a founder of that. So talk to us a little bit about why you decided to start your own company and then how was that different from the prior uh, business that you were a part of? So while I was there uh, being a tradesman, when I came into the business, even when I was on the other side, uh, outside of when I, before I came in, I, I noticed that there weren't a lot of people of color um, or a lot of minorities in our trade. Right? So I, I went to many jobs and I was the only person of color in, in the trade. So uh, one of, you know, through the years, I got to bring in people in the trade with that company that I, I worked at. And like I said, through the mistreatment, I decided to move out of my own. So when I started my own company, you know, I started with the idea that the this is my second family, right? And and as they're your second family, you have to treat them as such. Mm -hmm. You can't just ignore and defeat what they want. You have to look at their goals and, and hopefully they align with the family's goals to move forward together. Makes sense. So obviously one of the things that you shared with me when we originally started talking uh, is the fact that your previous boss did so many things that you said I would never want to repeat that and then he failed to do certain things that you said man that's those are things that I have to implement can you share some of that experience of what you've seen was done correctly and were omit, omitted from doing right some of the things that you saw that your previous boss didn't do what were some of the things that you instilled in your in your own personal personal life as well as in the business that you said I have to follow these things uh, to make my business my business venture much better. So uh, we we tethered on the line of uh, of really some bad things at my last company. Mm -hmm. You know we didn't use proper ladders. Uh, we didn't use proper equipment. So you may not know, but there's a difference between residential grade and commercial grade equipment. You know mm -hmm. whether it be a drill, a ladder, uh, any type of tool that you can imagine. So we only use residential grade, household grade materials and equipment, mm -hmm. uh, which was cheaper, but it wasn't intended to be used with certain weight. It wasn't intended to be used every day. So, you know, overall, those things started to have problems. Another thing is that we never had a company vehicle. We always used our own personal vehicles. So, you know, uh, if we, Made, were late with a payment or the car got repossessed or something else happened, we couldn't work, mm -hmm. right? If our license was bad, they never checked up on it. You know, there were so many things that really affected our work that we didn't look at at all. Mm -hmm. so coming into my own business, these are things that I knew we had to do. I didn't necessarily at the time knew how to do them. So, you know, uh, always uh, commercial grade tools, um, and, and because I didn't understand initially, I had inventory issues, like, you know, people would leave the drills at the job. Uh, I didn't really have a good sign in, sign out, uh, a, a cope, a, a, you know, mechanism. Uh, so, you know, because I didn't have things in place, it was a lot of things that I had to learn along the way, uh, but definitely light years away from where I was with him. One of the things that you shared with me was the whole process of training and, and investing into your people. Uh, because your prior boss didn't do a good job in building the company and building the culture and building the people. So talk to me about how you did that completely different from what your previous boss did uh, in, your, in your prior job. So, you know, I kind of mixed training as an incentive. So 
you can move up the line with your regular pay and your regular bonuses. But if you go to a public school, you automatically get an extra dollar an hour on your salary, right? So not only are they incentivized by going to the school, but we pay for the school. We pay for the time that they're at the school. So, you know, it, it's a win-win a for you. There's no reason for you not to want to go to get another accreditation. There's no reason for you not to want to get to the next level because if you get to the next level, it benefits us and it benefits you. Exactly. And I think one of the things that you said is uh, better trained employees are going to do a better job, which ultimately helps you as a company. And then that, that reputation goes way before you. And that was something that we, we talked about on our prior discussion. You said, you know, when you, when you look at it, like, uh, I guess this would be a good segue to even have that conversation. Uh, one of the things that you said is when you started your business almost uh, in your you know, mid-20s, uh, now almost 17 years later, you said as, as a man of color, uh, it was much harder for you to win the job. You had to do double the amount of work to prove that you can actually do the job and that you are credible. So talk to me about that, that story of how, how you had to overcome some of those obstacles. Uh, uh, sorry about cutting you off. As a matter of fact, it was very challenging. Uh, in the beginning, all of our work came from referrals. We actually couldn't get, we could not get any work based off of marketing on our own. As soon as we went in front of a customer, an end user, you know, we were just dismissed. And it was for a couple of reasons. One, I was very young, right? And unfortunately, I look even younger, right? So people said, who is this kid? Mm-hmm. Um, and then number two, I didn't fit the bill of looking professional, mm-hmm. right? I had really long hair, uh, you know, I didn't have uh, a dress shirt, uh, you know, I, I didn't understand the whole professionalism side of business, which is a, a separate conversation that we didn't actually have yesterday. Mm-hmm. But it was difficult because of that for people to take me serious. So we actually worked off for a problem. So people saw, well, wow, their level of professionalism when they get on a job is through the roof. You have to use, they li- they will literally use the words, mm-hmm. you have to use William and his crew. So then you had to prove with the quality of output that you are credible, that you do what you say, and then ultimately people started trusting you. That reputation went ahead of you and you were really able to see uh, a great success, right? And you have contractors that just hires you on and as they have new projects and that, that's, that's essentially how you've grown to where you are today. So essentially, what, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in that process of building the company and obviously having to work double the uh, amount, right, to prove yourself? What were some of the things that you instituted to make sure that people knew that you were credible and that you would do what you say? So it starts with this one word, professionalism, right? Uh, Professionalism encompasses what you say, uh, what you look like, which is branding, uh, you know, what you look like personally, Mm -hmm. you know, always going to usually see me in some type of branded, uh, some type of branding somewhere, as you can see right here, Mm -hmm. is because those subtle things will add to your level of professionalism, right? Uh, that, as well as what you say and do, mm-hmm. right? I say I'm gonna see you at one o'clock, I'm gonna be there at one o'clock. Even if it means I'm gonna be there at 12.30, mm-hmm. it's because it adds to my credibility. Every little thing adds to your credibility, which adds to your professionalism. Mm-hmm. And what, you've, what you have, what your output then becomes, is you have this mushroom effect. Mm-hmm. Right, I start off with one good guy. I have a referral that he gives me to someone else, plus 
the experience that I learned from him allows me to market to someone new. So now I have my referral chain going, and now I have my new market that I'm bridging. So with the both of them, it's creating a nice uh, little uh, uh, customer base for us. Exactly. And I think the integrity aspect of it is what I think you're t hitting on. A lot of people are, you know, they get excited, they got this business, and they try to, you know, try to trick the system a little bit, right, to try to cut the corner, you know, get the next job and, you know, whatever all those things are, right? But that reputation sometimes goes way ahead of you, and then it can work against you if you don't actually do what you say, and which oftentimes in the construction space is, is usually a, a bad, bad sign, right? Like, there's a lot of bad experience on construction guys because they say one thing, but then when it comes to time to do something, they, they don't come, come through with it. Uh, which is a big problem in that space. So any particular market, in our case construction, you know, from the outside it looks like, oh, that market is so big. Mm -hmm. But the inside, it really isn't that big. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and each sector, you know, has a, a dollar amount. You know, so you have the, the $50,000 construction market, you know, the, the $100,000, $200,000 construction market, and then, of course, the, the giga millions, mm -hmm. right? So in our market, the market that I operate in, there's not a lot of players. Mm -hmm. So if you don't do what you say, you end up running into those same group of people over and over again. And actually, they will discredit you if you don't go ahead and discredit yourself. So you're right. It's actually very important to actually maintain a certain level. Now, what we add, you know, our difference uh, is that we're not the cheapest people on the block. We are not by no means. Mm -hmm. So we have to elevate the level of expectation. People that use us uh, are people that are looking for the work that we perform. So mm -hmm. we add that particular expertise to feed what they need to solve for them. Yeah, most certainly. And I think sometimes under price, you know, under pricing your service would defeat the per you know purpose of actually providing, you know, I mean, it actually works against you because you can't provide the level of customer service and quality that the customer expects, but you're not able to service them at that level because you're not charging enough, and that that usually not a good practice when the business is trying to do quality work in the in the first place. Uh, one of the things that, one of the things that I thought about was obviously you talked about your military background. Do you think how much of that training and that years of service actually prepared you to become a better entrepreneur and ultimately doing a much better job as a, a professional? Um, then you just jumped into this from your experience just having only worked for that prior boss. You know what, I'm really glad that you, you caught that tie-in because me being in the military was actually very important to my success as a business person, right? Because especially when you're brand new, you work countless hours. Mm -hmm. You work, I'm gonna say it again because it's very important to understand, you work countless hours on your business, 16 hours a day, for months at a time. Mm -hmm. And you know, the military kind of prepares you on how to think critically even when you're tired or even when you're not at your 100%. So so that now besides that the also they teach you a way of solving problems sequentially, mm -hmm. right? That's the best way to put it is that it's not going to come to you at 100%, but you do this step one, and then as you're at step one, even if you don't know what the end result is, you know that now you're five or 10% there, and you keep putting blocks on, and then before you know it, you're halfway there, the solution appears in front of you, and then you continue to move. But 
staying still, staying stagnant is the worst thing that you can do. Always move forward. Most right? certainly. Most certainly. And I think one of the things that I was thinking about, and obviously, you know, you really made something out of your life, right? You said, you know, you didn't grow up in a very privileged community. You had a lot of things working against you. You had nothing but excuses on why you would turn out the way you would, right? If you had gone the wrong direction. You could have blamed your circumstances. You could have blamed your city, you know, community. You could blame your family, whatever you could do. But ultimately, today we're talking because you're an entrepreneur. You made something out of your life. You have 17 years of running a company. You've built a built a team, and you've been servicing the uh, New York City and hundreds of companies, uh, contractors over the years, right? So ultimately, you did not let the circumstances dictate who William Diaz Jr. is. So talk to me about that mindset of how you were able to overcome some of that obstacles and get you to where you are. And what, how, what would you say to someone else who might not be where you are today, what they need to do to be able to, to make, a, make something out of their lives? Now, that is a very challenging question. And, and so I'm gonna really hit it in two separate ways. So the first part is you have to understand that people that are workers will not understand anything that you're going through. Mm -hmm. If I say to a worker, oh my gosh, I only made a million dollars last year and we had a 20% loss, they, they all they think about is that $1 million. Mm -hmm. They don't even understand what's associated with that. Yes, I made a million dollars, but it may have cost me $950,000 to make that million dollars. They don't understand. So, so typically when you turn into your family and friends for support, you're not gonna get the support because they just don't understand what you're going through in any way, in any way. And mm -hmm. you cannot even explain it to them. Mm -hmm. the second thing is find yourself a good support group. If you find an entrepreneurial support group or you find yourself a, uh, a small business uh, support group, find one of those and, and with that, look for a mentor, right? Those things, those two things, will actually put you in a good space to get you in a, where you need to be because you're gonna go to your friends and family. Mm -hmm. If they do give you advice, it's gonna be bad advice for your business. Most certainly, and I think it's just like doing life, right? You can't do life alone, and same thing with entrepreneurship. You need other people who've gone before you who had some bad experiences and some really good successful experiences which they can share some of that insights which cuts your learning curve so much that you can actually accelerate your your learning and your ability to execute fast, which is why reading books is an amazing thing. And most people underestimate the value of reading a book. Someone who had probably 20 years of hard life experiences that they condense it into a 150 page book. But when you read it or listen to it on Audible or whatever the case might be, you're, you're taking all that knowledge and you're, you're actually getting some competitive advantage because you're getting that insight. Uh, which is essentially what you get from having uh, a support structure or some sort of a, a coach or a consultant that you can work with. Um, what other uh, best practices have you implemented in your organization to kind of make sure that the business lives beyond you, that it, it, it has its own support structure and everything else, that it can grow, um, that it's not 100% you know, dedicated and divided, I mean, 100% um, uh, supported by you? My efforts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every business has three entities, right? You have operations, you have finance, and you have sales, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so what you have to do is you have to first start off and build up each one of those arms. And once you build up that arm or that leg, you have to leave a set of instructions for it, mm -hmm. right? Once you build up that set of instructions or those doctrines, you no longer 
have to be in it, mm -hmm. right? So there's a saying in, in business, we say, work on your business and not in your business. Mm -hmm. Because once you've actually made those doctrines, now you, and you put somebody in that place to do that work, you can supervise the work that they're doing. And you can make decisions on uh, new things that you're looking at or changes in the industry. The worst thing that could happen to you is that if you're working in one of those jobs in one of those positions, then the industry changes, like here with Corona. Mm -hmm. If you were in business, let's say a restaurateur, and you were the chef of your business, chef of your business, and Corona happened, and you weren't paying attention, you weren't looking at any indicators, mm -hmm. you just came up one day and you saw you had no customers, it's too late. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's that's an important point. So what, especially the goal would be then, hey, like you said, those three core functional areas, figure out what needs to get done, documented, train somebody else so you can free yourself as a business leader so you can focus on the strategic things as opposed to some of the in-business activities that might just keeps you busy and, and keeps you going. Uh, you're super busy, but not really anything to show forth for why you're busy. Uh, Absolutely. One of the things that we like to say is as a business owner, you wanna actually do what's gonna bring in the most money per hour for the company. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a trades guy, uh, yes, I could put a jack on a wall. That's going to bring the company in $25, $50 an hour, right? Mm -hmm. As a salesperson, I'm selling for the 10 people I have, which can bring in $500 to $1,000 an hour. Mm -hmm. But now, as this, uh, uh, if I'm a CEO and doing strategic things, I'm actually doing something that's going to bring in everything that the company makes, mm -hmm. right? Everything, combined sales stuff, everything. So. You know, you have to look at it from the bigger picture. Where do you want to be? What do you want to bring into the company? Mm -hmm. Do you want to bring that $50 an hour? If so, then go be a worker somewhere. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that that's a great point that you bring. You have to start valuing your time and how much is your time worth? And is it worth doing some of the you know mundane tasks that can be either outsourced or um, delegated to somebody else who can actually do that job just as well as you do so you can focus on those strategic items? Uh, what are some of the things that you're doing personally in your business to make sure that you are focused on the strategic items and that you're not getting inundated with some of those tactical um, items that might take away time from you? That's a very good question. Week over week, if I spend more than four hours on an item that's actually a task for the business, mm -hmm. I look to see how that can be reallocated, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because if you're spending 40 hours or more in operations, especially during the day hours that really limits what you're doing strategically. Mm -hmm. I try to spend about 10 hours per week as a supervisor on each leg of the business. Mm -hmm. And then I try to spend another 20 hours a week on strategic and strategic planning. Mm -hmm. So that is what customers I want to look at, uh, which customers are we retaining, you know, what are relationships with our vendors, you know, just the strategic landscape mm -hmm. overall. Makes sense. So in terms of uh, what you just described, so as being a supervisor, you probably go into the accounting department, you wanna look at all the things for about 10 hours that uh, week, just to see how is our finance, are we collecting, do we have collection issues, think about those things. And then your 10 hours of the strategic work, you take those learnings from that, being the supervisor role in those departments, and essentially see what can I strategically do that will solve my, let's just say for example, a collection problem or something like that, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly. That is correctly, and and is it does it mean that we need to actually put something else in place for this particular customer type, mm -hmm. or is it that this particular customer is just gross negligence, and mm -hmm. I need to intervene, mm -hmm. right? 
So what, what level is it at? And is it just an individual thing or is it a policy thing, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that all starts off with a meeting, you know? We have to have meetings with those departments just so that every, you understand mm -hmm. what's going on. What were, the, what were the goals for the week? Did we meet the goals for the week, right? Then after that, what stopped us? What was the barrier for us not making the goals for the week or why we superseded the goal for the week? Because let me tell you something, superseding your goals for a week is not good always either because that means that the next week you may have a low. Mm -hmm. it, it, it makes a sense of, oh yeah, I did so much work last week, I'm okay this week, yeah. which is not necessarily good. Are there, I mean, I know you from you functionally how you divided the company into different or different units essentially. Are there KPIs that you have for individual uh, divisions that you can quickly monitor uh, for you that you can that can you can say hey our team is on track we're you know we're doing our projects on time whatever those thing case KPIs might be do you have something like that to kind of keep a pulse on the organization yes 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 we have uh weekly reports that we use um and and they're actually updated daily mm -hmm. uh, so we're on the, the google platform so if they enter something in google forms or on the google spreadsheet you can look at them at any time so i can go in and look and see not only can I see what was changed but I can even look and see when it was changed last mm -hmm. so let's say somebody forgot to update something I can see oh they didn't update it yesterday mm -hmm. rather you know where, whereas and if, if there's nothing there I would think oh we didn't do any productivity no mm -hmm. now I can just say oh they didn't update it yet most certainly so obviously you've had a very successful uh, career in military then you worked for someone and then you finally decided to build your own company and have been running uh, since your early 20s uh, almost you know 17 plus years now you've, you've been extremely successful in what you're doing so if you had to do it again what would you do differently um, from knowing what you know today there are three things that I would do differently mm -hmm. right and each one of them really has to do with that that each part of the uh, businesses right uh, each one of those major functions mm -hmm. number one uh, in the beginning the first 10 years of business I was bootstrap finance right mm -hmm. Uh, and bootstrap finance means that I was using the, my own money and the profits of my money to reinvest into the company. Mm -hmm. all right? I would have actually looked for outside financing uh, to substitute because even being a mature company at 10 years old, mm -hmm. when I went to try to get funding, it was very difficult. And, and really it was difficult because I didn't do it when I was young, mm -hmm. as a young company. So um, I would have done that right away. Second thing was, is better documentation. I would have had a business plan or growth plan. Uh, the first time I made one, I was nine years, uh, seven years in business. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when you know I went through Goldman Sachs program. I was already seven years in business. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the first time I made one. At the time, it was a growth plan because I was already in business. But that one helped me to understand uh, where we were going. And lastly, a marketing plan. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to really understand who is the person or people that you want to sell to mm -hmm. because I can say outside yell to my window hey I want to give this balloon for a dollar mm -hmm. uh, and nobody will listen literally no one will listen but if I say hey I want to give this balloon for a dollar to the person with the white shirt with red and blue stripes mm -hmm. now, if I say that you know what's gonna happen is that most people will look down oh am I wearing red and blue stripes <laughs> he was talking to me now, if you're wearing red and burgundy stripes, you may still look that maybe he was talking about me. Let me go and find out. So, so you know, 
understanding those really minute differences uh, between uh, advertising, marketing, really made a big difference later on. Mm -hmm. And if I would have understood how those could have affected me, then I would have uh, uh, done some, a lot of those earlier. Most certainly, and I'm, I'm assuming if you actually had some advisors and uh, and some coaches early on, maybe you would have been exposed to some of that knowledge much early on as well, right? Obviously, that's that's what happened with Goldman Sachs' program. You got exposed to it seven years into your business, but more reason why you need to have advisors and consultants and coach uh, be a part of your company much earlier on, so that you don't you don't wait uh, too late. Sometimes it could be too late. In your case, you actually were fortunate enough to continue on and, and grow the company to where it is today. Yeah, yeah, you know what, you're right, and I, I discounted uh, that, but yes, you need coaches to help you write those things, definitely. I guess, I thought it was assumed, but uh, you know, yes, you definitely need people, because you're gonna write your first uh, uh, profit and uh, profit that you think you're gonna make, mm -hmm. how do you write it? You don't even know, you don't even know what your costs are, mm -hmm. so you definitely need somebody to help explain those things to you, what your break-even numbers are, what your your actual costs are going to be, and then what profit you want to look and what your profit margin is going to be set up from that. You know, you're going to need to know all of that. Makes sense. And mm -hmm. you need to know when you scale up, those numbers change again. Because if you're operating at one shop with one vehicle, you may you only need three technicians making this much. But then when you move up and you get a bigger shop with bigger rent, bigger overhead, uh, and you're working with different buildings, the insurance requirements go up. Then you need a, a different break-even part, uh, you know, break-even number. Yeah. So I mean, I've heard that the strategies that took you from uh, zero to one million is not going to take you from one million to ten million, and definitely that ten million strategy won't work you to get to that uh, the the hundred million dollar mark, right? Because each of those growth trajectory and the growth goals completely uh, brings completely different challenges, and then also the personnel who took you from zero to one million is probably not the right person to get you to the next level of the company because they're, they're, you know, the limiting beliefs or whatever the case might be, right? That might minimize, you know, limit them from propel the company forward to the next level for sure. You know, you know it's funny you say that. Earlier you mentioned that you get a lot of information from books. Mm -hmm. I recently read a book um, and I just started to implement this. And, and what this owner did is that when he hires people, he gives them the lowest position name they could in that field. Mm -hmm. Because as he grew, uh, what he did is he hired people on top of them. Mm -hmm. so, so he didn't hire somebody and give them the name bookkeeper and then hire a controller later on, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he, he gave them the, the title accounts payable, accounts receivable clerk, mm -hmm. and then later on hired a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. And then he grew later on, later on, he hired a controller. So, mm -hmm. so you know, those are really strategic things to say, well, I'm going to still get the work done. Mm -hmm but I'm not actually, uh, I'm still getting the work done, but I'm not actually limiting myself to, to have this person when I get to a higher level. Makes sense, certainly understand that. So obviously I can talk to you for hours and, and there's a lot of wisdom and knowledge in your experience uh, and from what you've acquired over the years and also just being, being around smart people, right? That, that are coaching you and counseling you. Uh, so what advice do you have for a young entrepreneur who's trying to get started um, who has this passion of getting, you know, getting somewhere in life and building a company, and and doing something with their life? Uh, what advice do you have for someone like that? Yeah. Uh, so the biggest uh, advice I think that I have is write it down, mm -hmm. right? Um, write down what your thoughts are, even if it's a passion. Write it down because 
once you write it down, you can see how full or not full the thought is. Mm -hmm. Then go ahead and get yourself a coach, a neighbor, a friend to look at what you wrote down. Because if it makes sense to you, that's fine. If it makes sense to someone else, mm -hmm. now you're on to something, right? Once you write more and more and more, then you end up with what we call a business plan. Mm -hmm. Then you could take that business plan somewhere to get funded, investor, bank, and then you can launch your dream. Mm -hmm. It's kind of similar to what the Think and Grow Rich book talks about, uh, Andrew Carnegie, because they, in that book, it's the same concept. I mean, before you can actually execute it, you have to think about it. Once you think about it, you visualize it. Once you visualize it, you, you start dreaming, right, that whole concept. And then before you know it, you're executing on it, and ultimately it becomes a reality in the future. Um, so that was the kind of the premise of that book. Um, but essentially, that's what I think you're you're basically alluding to. Yes. You know, don't just you have to turn it into a concrete idea, write it down, and then seek advice, seek wisdom from others who might have some some experience in that uh, that arena. Then figure out how do you fund that idea, and then ultimately take it to the market, uh, and Absolutely. then see if customers would buy it. Essentially. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great advice. Well, I'm super glad, William, that we got this opportunity to connect. And I'm so glad that you shared some of your wisdom and knowledge from uh, building your company. Uh, I look forward to staying in touch and wish you all the best in the days to come. All right, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you as well. Awesome. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.